From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Lawrence Gillum. Lawrence, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, Jeff. It's a, it's a busy week this week, which I'm sure we'll get into, but uh, looking forward to the podcast and the rest of this week, for sure. A busy week, indeed. You know, any Fed week is, is a big week, and certainly inflation data adds to the uh, the interest for uh, investors. So uh, yes, we will absolutely talk about those two things. In fact, uh, those are a big piece of our agenda today. So here, for those of you um, watching um, on, on YouTube, you can see the agenda. It's Monday, June 12th as we're recording this, 2023. Uh, and uh, you see here, we're going to start with just a recap, as we always do, of what happened last week. It was a positive week for stocks. In fact, it was good enough for the S&P 500 that we just barely uh, eclipsed the 20% mark that uh, tells us we are in a new official bull market for the S&P 500, at least. Um, with that, uh, we will try to answer the question, what's next for stocks here now that we're up 20% off of those October lows? Uh, here's where uh, Lawrence becomes really important to this discussion as a fixed income strategist. He's going to tell us what to expect from the Fed and what that might mean for investors. Then we'll end with a preview of the week, not just the Fed, but um, inflation data and a number of other uh, key economic reports to digest. So yeah, as Lawrence mentioned, uh, busy, busy week. So let's start with um, a recap of last week. I mean, the, the big story, no doubt, was the fact that we entered a new bull market uh, on the S&P with that, you know. 0.4% gain. It's a gain. It's not a huge gain, uh, but we'll take it. Actually, year to date, now the S&P is up about 12%. It was actually the fourth straight positive week for the S&P, and the NASDAQ actually is up seven straight weeks. Uh, that hasn't happened since 2019. You know, Not only did we break that 20% mark that uh, most people use as the definition of a bull market, but we have also broken through now the August 2022 highs. So we're now going back to April of last year to find levels of the S&P that are higher uh, than where we are now. And in terms of what worked, um, we actually had a pretty good week uh, in, in Asia, not as good in Europe. Uh, the U.S. has really led, though, uh, recently. Uh, if you look over on the right-hand side, emerging markets had a very strong week. A lot of that was Brazil, uh, but certainly China chipped in. Uh, and had a pretty solid week as well. You know, a lot of people are talking about a disappointing reopening for China, but you know, at some point that market gets so cheap that maybe you're going to attract uh, some interest. So we'll, we'll call that uh, bargain shopping, maybe a little bit uh, in China. I'm not so sure we've seen a meaningful thaw in U.S.-China relations that would spark that interest. Turning to sectors, um, consumer discretionary was the winner last week. You know, we, we talk a lot about how consumer discretionary is really two stocks, right? It's Amazon and Tesla. And so Tesla was really uh, the driving force behind uh, the strong week for, for that sector. Uh, the gains were driven by a charging partnership with GM. Um, and, um, you know, that was something like two thirds or three quarters of the gain. You know, beyond that, I thought utilities strength was kind of interesting because rates rose last week, which Lawrence will talk about here in a minute. I think the utility strength was really more a function of 
higher natural gas prices and that energy sensitivity uh, as opposed to anything about interest rates or a shift toward defensive sectors. It was really uh, not necessarily a defensive week uh, because you see healthcare down, you see staples down. Uh, turning to um, fixed income and commodities, Lawrence, what, what did we see last week? Yeah, it was really a mixed week on the fixed income front, really a bifurcated return uh, profile for those safest uh, fixed income sectors like treasuries and, and mortgages versus those that are a little bit more risky or you know, the, the credit risk sensitive areas of the fixed income markets, high yield bonds, emerging market debt. Uh, so we did see positive returns out of the riskier segments of the fixed income markets last week, negative returns out of the safer fixed, fixed income sectors uh, because of that uh, increase in rates that we did see over the course of the past week. Uh, longer term, we are starting to see some uh, outperformance relative to the, uh, the, the, the core sectors. So we're seeing mortgages start to perform well. We've had a bias towards mortgages in a lot of our model portfolios. So it's, start, it's good to see some life out of the, the mortgage-backed security space. Uh, and then the treasury uh, space up about 1.7% over the last three months, six months, still positive returns, but just not as, as great for some of these, these core sectors. Kind of looking at commodities, commodities were up about 1.2% last week. Uh, again, a, a bifurcated return profile for uh, some of these soft index sectors. As And then looking at that compared to the energy complex, I think there was a, a big sell side firm that downgraded oil last week. Uh, so we did see oil prices go lower and uh, natural gas prices higher. So just looking at the energy index uh, in aggregate, it showed a, a flat. But if you look at those six month returns, Jeff, it's, uh, it's, it's really divergent between that energy index sector and the soft index uh, sectors down 24% for the energy complex, up 25% for the, so the soft index complex. Uh, so really, it, it matters if you where you pick or where you allocate your assets to within the commodity sectors. Yeah, absolutely. And if you broke out natural gas, it would be worse than that 24%. Of course, that helps us heat our homes, at least when it's wintertime. But uh, certainly for commodity investors, it's been um, tough sledding. I guess the, the good news there is obviously lower commodity prices contributes to lower inflation. Um, I did want to highlight you know, one thing in the softs uh, index, you know, that's like cocoa, coffee, things like that. Um, they are actually locking up instant coffee in the UK, I saw over the weekend, right, to prevent theft. Coffee has become so valuable. Uh, I think it's related to these um, El Nino uh, global weather patterns. And we've had some real dryness some places and um you know, it's contributed to a little bit of a bounce recently in commodity prices. So, I mean, that that tells you maybe that the inflation problem is not completely behind us, but uh, it is certainly looking a lot better than it looked a few a few months back, uh, which we'll, we'll we'll talk about in a minute. So, I, I think that's probably a market signals first, where we actually talked about coffee, other than just the fact that we need to drink it uh, to stay awake. So yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a coffee snob, so I, I'm going to anger some people here probably, but I think it should, you should be locked up if you're buying instant coffee. So it's uh, it's one of those things. There's a, there is a difference in taste. I like my coffee. Please, please don't lock up my in-laws, but otherwise that that's fine by me. I'm a little bit of a uh, coffee snob myself. So um, in fact, I got my coffee right here. Um, I'll let you guys guess whether it's Starbucks or Dunkin'. I live in Boston. So let's talk bull market. Um, this is 
this is exciting. Actually, this this bull market, you know, it's just a couple of days old, but it, it wore me out because you know I I just passed out on the couch Friday night after a long week. I I was asleep by eight o'clock, which pretty much never happens. Uh, I'm normally a, a late nighter, uh, but you can see here um, instead of just putting in a chart of the live S and P, I thought these graphics that our technician Adam Turnquist put together were really helpful. Uh, you know, the top line is just the path of the S&P 500, and you see that 20% bounce off the October 12th, 2022 lows, uh, up to 4293, which is where the official bull market started. I mean, it started in, in October, but it is official at that 4293 level. But then below, you see the breadth isn't that great. 57% of the S&P 500 above its 200-day moving average at that point in time. Just feeds into that narrative that we've talked a lot about here, that the market, to build a sustainable foundation for a bull market, you really need to see more breadth, uh, more stocks working. We only have about a quarter of the S&P 500 outperforming, which of course creates a challenging environment for active managers. But it also means that this bull market might need a little bit of a breather, uh, might, might be due for a pause before long. Um, and that feeds into, um, you know, where we're going to go next, Lawrence, and, and also is consistent with the call that we made last week uh, to just pull back a little bit in our equity allocations to a neutral stance, not a bearish or a negative stance, just a neutral stance. So we'll give uh, Adam Turquist some more love here. We just call him out on the S&P chart. Now I'll call him out on this table that he put together, which is really cool. So um, here you're looking at all of the bear markets from low to end. Okay, so this would be October 12, 2022 to last week, June 8th, 2023, where the 20% mark was hit. You pull all of these bear market periods, okay, when the bear market ended, what did stocks do next? Right, that's the key point of this chart. You see here over on the right, average gains, uh, one month, three months, six months, 12 months, there's a lot of gains here. So the probably the first takeaway is just these bull markets when they're early, when they're young, they tend to keep running, right? And really running pretty strong because if you look at the far right, you know the average gain over the past or over the subsequent year is about 19%. So could we get that? Sure. But Lawrence, you actually noticed here in looking at this chart that, um, you know, there are certain bear markets where you see bigger gains and certain bear markets where you see smaller gains. Yeah, and this is consistent with our recent recalibration of our equity exposure. You know, those numbers are are attractive, certainly when you look at all those bear markets and, and subsequent returns and aggregate. But, uh, you know, our view is that we're not in a recession currently. So if you look at just those periods where re a recession is not overlapping with the uh, the return of a bull market returns aren't as spectacular as they are when you are in a recession. So our view is that we're going to enter a recession sometime later this year, early early next year. So we're not currently in that recessionary environment. Uh, so we're not expecting those those outsized returns uh, on a on a three, six, twelve month horizon as what would we what we would see here from this this table. Yeah. So you know maybe uh, over the next few months you know, consistent with that, well, over the next one month, markets tend to be a little bit choppy right when you hit this 20% mark. So maybe we get that choppiness 
for a little bit longer, uh, maybe even get a pullback before another move higher. Uh, but we still think, you know, which I'll, I'll go through in a minute here. When you balance out the pros and the cons of this market, you know, it kind of comes out to us in, in a wash. So we, we think neutral uh, is a good place to be here. I'll also mention that, you know, this was a long period between the bear market low and the end of the bear, 165 days. We only had a longer one in 1957, 58. Um, and back then when you had these really long periods to finally achieve that new bull market, the gains tended to be a little bit bigger. Not sure that relationship holds this time, but I think it's uh, interesting to um, to point out, you know, plus 20, plus 27, plus 18, uh, one year later. So, um, you know, we we tease this a little bit, Lawrence. I just want to go back and recap what we talked about last week, the, the LPO Research uh, Strategic and Tactical Asset Allocation Committee did take a little bit of risk off um, the, you know, we're at our price target for the end of the year, 4,300 to 4,400 on the S&P 500. That is technical resistance. It is a narrow market, right? Led by the mega cap techs. And the team continues to see recession within the next six to nine months. Now people get all scared by the big R word, but we actually think it's gonna be pretty mild and short-lived if it happens. And the market may not care all that much because we've been preparing for it. Frankly, it might not hurt company earnings all that much because they've been preparing for it too, right? Cutting costs and you know, trying to kind of right-size their headcount a little bit here lately. Um, Lawrence, another reason that we made this move is the comparison between stocks and bonds. Yeah, that's right. So if your expected return out of stocks is, is say, you know, 5% from current levels and your expected return out of bonds is, is is similar. You know, from a risk management perspective, we figured that we can dial down some of the risk of our portfolios and not sacrifice expected return, given the 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 the, the yields that we're seeing in the fixed income markets uh, and the fact that we are closer to uh, our upside target. Yeah, it's it's a great point. I mean, frankly, I've really not been a buyer of bonds in my personal account before, and I've just now started. So maybe that's a sign that bonds are a bad place to be. Maybe I've top checked the market. <laughs> I don't know. But when uh, when someone who's been focused exclusively on equities for their entire 25-year career <laughs> is, is intrigued by bonds, uh, my guess is there are other folks that are doing the same. So uh, yeah, when you compare that higher hurdle of 5% in T-bills, it's just going to be tougher, we think, for stocks to run away. You know, could they go up another 5%, 10%? Sure. Uh, but we don't think this market's going to completely run away from us. Um, and uh, higher higher interest rates is certainly part of the reason why. So let, let's move forward and, and get to the Fed. Lawrence is the highlight, certainly, of, of the week, I think, for, for most market watchers. Uh, the end is near. So we think, you know, there's a decent chance they're done even though it's maybe a 50-50 shot that we get one more hike. So maybe, you know, walk us through why the Fed might be done, you know, if you if you believe that, and then what that might mean for uh, for rates going forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so this chart will show you just the, the current Fed funds uh, rates and its levels relative to history. And as you can see, the, the Fed has done a lot already, right? So going from a, a 25% or a 0.25% uh, Fed funds rate at the upper bounds 
about 15 months ago or so, we're currently at that 5.25% level. So what this turned out to be one of the most aggressive rate hiking campaigns in decades. So we do think that the Fed is closer to the end. We think that the, you know, the, the, the Fed may skip. There's all this jargon out there, skip, pause, pivot. Uh, so we do think that the, the Fed is going to skip this meeting, uh, this meeting this week and then potentially raise rates another 25 uh, basis points or 0.25% in July, depending on the data. So that's not a slam dunk either. Uh, so we do think you know, that, that this rate hiking campaign is, is close to the end. The end is near, we think. So uh, another thing to point out here is this is only the second time the Fed funds rate has actually been able to be lifted higher than the, the previous cycle. So as you can see on the chart, the, the path of, of that Fed funds rate has always been lower. Uh, relative to the previous hiking campaign, it's because the Fed tends to raise rates until something breaks. Uh, and this time, the Fed has raised rates aggressively. And for whatever reason, you know, consumers have turned out debt, companies have turned out debt, there's just le less leverage in the system. The Fed hasn't broken anything. Uh, so, you know, we do think that um, the, the Fed is going to pause, take into consideration the, the heavy lifting that they've already done, you know, we, we hear this long and variable lags uh, from the Fed that rate hikes take a while to flow into the real economy. Uh, so given the speed and the, and the magnitude of rate hikes, we think a rate pause uh, is prudent given the fact that, again, we've, they've already done so much and, and they haven't broken anything yet. So they can take a step back and, and see how uh, the, these rate hikes have, have, are, are going to potentially impact the, uh, the real economy. Well, maybe they haven't broken anything, Lawrence, but like there's a real like expensive piece of mom's china that's just sort of wobbling on the edge of the table. It, yeah. Right? Because, you know, we just had three really big banks fail, right, in, in, in March and I guess leaked over into um, April. So, you know, that that's kind of breaking something. But if that's all we get, because that didn't really become much of a problem. Right, we didn't see the big spillover uh, into other areas of the economy because the economy is doing okay. I mean, we'll yeah. probably grow, I don't know, percent, percent and a half GDP in the second quarter, at least based on the data that we've seen so far. Markets at all-time highs. You know better than I do. The credit market isn't falling apart. Uh, we've seen maybe a little bit of a crack in the labor market. That claims number jumped last week, although it was probably holiday distorted with Memorial Day. Still, you know, you've seen some cracks, um, small ones in the labor market. So, yeah, maybe they haven't broken anything yet, but um, boy, they they're they're kind of on the edge. I would that, say, it, which would argue for a pause, I think. And and if you think back to August of last year, that, that Jackson Hole symposium, that uh, where Chairman Powell came out and said that there's going to be a lot of pain <laughs> over the next 12 months, we haven't seen that. So um, maybe the the Fed can get away with with taming inflation and not breaking things to the magnitude that we saw, say, back in, you know, 2006, 2007 global financial crisis, which is, of course, is not our, our base case. Uh, but we know that they've done a lot of heavy lifting, which would argue for a, for a pause, at, at least a skip this meeting. Yeah, hopefully we don't have to, you know, make a diving catch of, of mom's uh, expensive China or grandma's for that matter. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the dot plot a little bit, Lawrence, you know, this, um, a few months ago, everybody was talking about how misaligned market expectations were uh, from the Fed, right? The Fed was basically saying higher for longer, no cuts, 
market was expecting several cuts this year. That's, you know, they're still a little bit misaligned in, in, in 2024, but for this year, it seems like, you know, the market moved to the Fed. Yeah, the, the market finally listened to what the Fed was saying and and buys into this higher for longer narrative that the Fed has been preaching for months now. Uh, there is that divergence for 2024. The market still expects uh, more rate cuts than what the Fed has suggested, at least last uh, March when this dot plot was released. In addition, so this is important because in addition to that you know, interest rate decision, we get a new summary of economic projections for this for this Fed meeting. Uh, we will get an updated economic forecast for growth, inflation, unemployment rate, and then interest rates, which is this dot plot. So there is a potential risk that despite the fact that the, the Fed is not going to raise rates this time, they could increase their 2024 terminal rate uh, for that year, uh, which would cause some uncomfortable repricing in the fixed income markets, I think, trying to get kind of catch up to what the, the Fed is suggesting at this dot plot. But now to your point, it, we've argued that the, the magnitude of rate cuts that were priced into markets was overdone. We thought it was too, too much, too, uh, too much, too soon. And we've seen a lot of that repricing, uh, you know, work its way out of the fixed income markets. It's been painful. That's why, you know, we haven't had uh, these big returns out of fixed income that I think a lot of people are expecting. Um, you know, we think that's going to happen eventually. But you know, now that uh, now that the, the fixed income markets have repriced higher because of this, uh, you know, higher for longer narrative coming out of the Fed, you know, we we do think we're kind of at those upper end of, of our of our rate forecast for this year. But uh, it's something that we're certainly watching for the uh, for this meeting and and how the markets digest this uh, this dot plot, despite the fact that Chair Powell has said, you know, take this with a grain of salt because it's it's not very meaningful. But markets don't listen; they do take it uh, seriously. Yeah, it, it's always interesting to watch the market reactions once the Fed news comes out, because, you know, you could sort of initially go higher and then move lower or vice versa, uh, depending on how um, how people interpret the, the Fed speak. Um, I, I guess, you know, so one key takeaway here is be comfortable owning bonds, and we are um, slightly overweight fixed income relative to our benchmarks in the uh, asset allocation that we recommend tactically, right? And then maybe the other the other takeaway from this segment, Lawrence, is um, is drink high quality coffee. Don't don't settle for the the cheap instant stuff. Good. I think that's a spot on good. summation of the of the call so far. Good good takeaways there. Um, <laughs> so let's let's preview more of the week, right? Although I mean we can't just talk Fed. The ECB is probably going to hike. You know I came into this week thinking we'd get 25 basis points from the ECB, but there are rumblings I hear of, of maybe um, 50. And then the, B of J J the BOJ or Bank of Japan, take your pick, is also out this week. And that's been getting a lot of attention. I think the BOJ is getting more attention now uh, than it has at any point in the last, I don't know, five years or so, as I can recall, because you have a new, um, you know, new leader, certainly, Ueda, uh, and there's some anxiety around that. Plus, Japan's in a unique position uh, to potentially, you know, raise their interest rate cap. They're getting inflation, which they haven't gotten for decades. I don't know. J Japan's just a really interesting uh, place right now. In addition to the central bank meetings, and you know, feel free to chime in on any of those, Lawrence. We already mentioned the inflation data this week. We get CPI 
and PPI, the base effects on CPI are really big. So, you know, consensus is looking for 4.1 on the headline, down from 4.9 in the prior month, which is a big move down. I mean, it, it's, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't predict it, but it's even possible that we go lower than that. And then we see even a three handle um, on that year over year number. So that I think is worth noting. But the core, we still have some work to do, right? Core year over year CPI is still over five. You know, hopefully we get something a little bit better than that. Um, there are a number of pieces of evidence that inflation is coming down. I mean, rents have been sticky high, but the real time measures of rents are showing some significant easing in those pricing pressures. That's encouraging. That's a big piece of CPI. Maybe that still takes another you know month or two or three to flow through, but uh, that is good news. We've had commodity prices come down. The recent data suggests there's some wage, some easing of wage pressures. So you know, look for some better news in CPI uh, in in the coming months and hopefully starting this week. PPI. I mean, th there's some really low numbers on PPI. We have you know, tough comparisons, I guess. When you have surges, it's tougher to see a big move higher relative to those surges. And so you saw PPI surge, of course, a year ago, and now it's, you know, you're seeing kind of the benefits of that with smaller uh, increases, at least based on current forecasts. Um, anything else here, Lawrence, that you would, you would highlight in terms of uh, data for the week? And as you see here, I, I pretty much highlighted the whole page, which which kind of takes the the whole point of of highlighting away, but and nonetheless, that's that's what I did. I controlled the slides, so I can do what I want. That's right. He who is in power is is in power. So you know, I, I think it's it's just. I mean, it's, it's a busy week for our chief economist uh, Jeffrey Roach. He's he's going to be writing a lot of blogs and, and updates on this stuff. But no, I think for, from my perspective, from the bond market perspective, it's going to be Fed, ECB, Bank of Japan. Bank of Japan is an interesting one. It's uh, it, you know, they're they're the only developed nation left, I think, that that hasn't really started to tighten monetary policy. Uh, but to your point about a new leader, Ueda, he's he's of, of the Ben Bernanke background. I think they actually went to school together. Uh, so there is that 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 concern that a a a, um, a, a, a um, academic going into the the head of a of a central bank could cause some issues. A la Ben Bernanke back with the taper tantrum that we saw back in what was that 2013. So there is that risk that the Bank of Japan could could shake shake some things up this week. Our expectation is that it's, you know there isn't a change, uh, but the Bank of Japan likes to surprise markets. So we'll, we'll have to see how this plays out. But busy week for uh, economic data, busy week for uh, central bank activity, and should be a, a busy week in the bond market as well. Yeah. And by the way, we. We still like Japan as a place to invest at this point, uh, but certainly we'll be watching the BJ really closely uh, to see if um, you know if that's still going to be a good place to be in uh, in the months ahead. I'll also highlight the um, well first claims. Like normally, I wouldn't highlight claims, but because we had that spike last week, and we expect that to come back down this week, I think that is an important piece. I mean, you really can't have a recession without a weakening labor market. We haven't seen much, a little, but not much evidence of a weakening labor market. So we'll be watching claims closely. And then uh, Jeffrey Roach also highlighted the um, industrial production, which I did not highlight, but he did. Uh, industrial production is actually part of the official recession 
formula. It's not really a formula, but you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research is the official arbiter of recessions. And the way they define recessions is on their website, and they actually talk about industrial production being part of the equation. So haven't highlighted that before, but I think it's probably worth noting it's, you know, marginally uh, positive. And I guess University of Michigan sentiment and inflation expectations have been interesting as well in recent months. So we'll watch that. I mean, 3.1%, Lawrence seems a little high on five to 10 year expectations. I think that shows you that people are anchoring to the high inflation we're experiencing now rather than expecting you know, the Fed to win this battle and for us to return to the low inflation environment that we had pre-pandemic. Yeah, and that's the risk. If these inflation expectations become unanchored, it turns into this self-fulfilling prophecy of, of higher inflation expectations, begets higher inflation, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we'll get this so-called hawkish skip out of the Fed this week. Uh, they, they could be close to the end of the rate hiking campaign, but they don't want markets to think that they're giving up on inflation. Uh, so I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of job owning, keeping the, you know, with the expectation of keeping Fed funds rate elevated until inflationary dynamics come back to their two-ish percent target, because uh, we don't want to get those inflation expectations unanchored. The equity guy and the fixed income guy agree wholeheartedly with that. There will be hawkish talk, uh, no matter what they do, but they're almost certain to pause. They have given a number of signals that they're going to pause. In fact, if they weren't going to pause, I think we would have already seen the leak through the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> That's just me. Uh, so good good stuff, Lawrence. Um, let's go ahead and wrap. Any closing remarks? Anything more on coffee? Or no, I need some, though. I'm, I'm, it's been a long day. I might go have a cup. I, I think I might be ready for uh, cup number three, too. It's, it's Monday. Normally, I'm, you know, in the two range, but, uh, you know. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll figure that out uh, real soon. But um, yeah, I think we'll go ahead and wrap there. Thanks, everybody, for listening, as always, um, for, to another edition of LPL Market Signals. Lawrence, great to be with you. I'm so glad you were here to, to talk about the Fed, certainly a topic that you know much more about uh, than I do. Of course, we all have to watch the Fed because they move markets a lot more than the Fed uh, to watch, certainly, though, this week. So um, we will be back with you next week. As always, everybody have a wonderful week and take care. We'll see you then. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer 
Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.